customer experience is your brand. All about the interaction that a customers customer are not has just customers that can the be kind of experience you give to people. Customers. That's what they're going. Amazon wants you to buy something. A warranty company wants their contractors. Customer to do experience, you know, it really is how your brand gets projected out in, into the world. Business is not just business; it's very human. Hello there, ladies and gents, and welcome back to another episode of In The Know. This is your host, Todd Stewart. This is a dispatch-powered podcast dedicated to highlighting the individuals and companies who create memorable, long-lasting customer experiences. It's my job today to dissect and understand how Ellie Merman, the CMO at Cran, is able to consistently wow her customers. In this episode, we will dissect every part of her career to learn how she approached customer experience, how she leveraged specific tactics, and how her mindset has changed over time. So as always, grab a pen, grab some paper, and please enjoy this great customer-focused conversation with Ellie Merman. Okay, so everybody, welcome back to another episode of In The Know. This is Todd Stewart. We are here on site at Cran's headquarters, downtown Boston. We are here with Ellie Merman, the CMO of Cran. Ellie, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. So before we really dive into anything, I, I have to sort of disclose a little bit. Uh, Cran came to me about about a year ago where I was trying to build a landing page for this white paper that, that we wrote. And my ideas just came to a halt. And I my Google search of like, what's the best design of a landing page wasn't giving me great results. And I was just essentially getting the same results over and over and over. And then all of a sudden I came across Crayon and everything was indexed as far as creative design so perfectly that all of a sudden my ideas for a, a landing page came back and it just helped out with the entire process. You guys are doing an awesome job at that. And I just wanted to, to let you know that it helped me out big time. That's awesome. That's great to hear. So I, I do like to start off episodes with different segments. This one is called Super Tools. I want to know, what is a tool that you use on a day-by-day -day basis that you really cannot live without? It can be a physical object. It can be an application that you use to help streamline your work. Um, what is it for you? You know, they're all the classics, things like your my iPhone, HubSpot, Salesforce, those types of tools. I will, I'll give a shout out to a couple of them. Uh, one is an app that I use all the time called City Mapper, mm. which helps me figure out the best way to get to and from places with all the different potential ways to do that. So, you know, if it's a car, if it's walking, if it's the T and so on. What, what's the difference between Waze and City Mapper? It helps with all the public transportation. Oh, great. Yeah, nice. it tells me which buses to take and when. Nice. Um, so City Mapper is great. Um, another one that I'll, I'll give a shout out to is MakerBook, which is more of a website that links off to lots of other resources, but it's great for additional creative resources that are all free, uh, stock photos, icons, things like that. Love that. Um, and then, of course, shameless, but real plug for Crayon, yeah, yeah. Uh, our free tool, Inspire. I really do use it quite a bit, uh, exactly the way that you were talking about, where I need inspiration, especially with you know a bunch of the changes to our own website, uh, looking for inspiration for landing pages and for product pages and things like that. I do use it quite a bit. I used it the other day with a security ah, nice. page. I needed, <laughs> I needed some inspiration. I couldn't find anything on Google. Went to your site, went to the Inspire section typed in security page and I came up with so many great, great resources. Awesome. <laughs> so let's dive in. We're going to take a little different approach with this episode. Um, we're going to go through your career path. So first you were at 
a company called HubSpot. And I, I want to know how you thought about customer experience there. But really, before I guess we, we dive into that question, I want to know what's the definition of, of customer experience for you? Because everybody kind of has a little bit de- different definition. And I think it's good to understand that to understand your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's all about the interaction that a customer has with your company and your product and your service from the first moment that they hear about you all the way until uh, the end of whatever relationship. So especially in the SaaS world, I think that it really has an interesting impact uh, in terms of how you interact with your customers because you are having this ongoing relationship from the moment that they first are starting to do their research all the way through you know, month 12, month 13 that they are a customer of yours. So at the beginning of your career, uh, you, like I said, you had an interesting path. You first started working for a company called SolidWorks Corporation as a marketing communications contractor. You were there for a little over three years, uh, and then you joined a small company, like I mentioned, called HubSpot. And I'm guessing there was only a few people there at the time. What attracted you to HubSpot? So it was a little bit of a fluke. I had met Mike Volpe, the CMO at HubSpot, uh, when I worked at SolidWorks. And at the time, when he moved over, HubSpot was this tiny company. There were maybe 10 people or so. They had just raised their Series A, and nobody really knew about them. So it's not like the brand that they have today and everybody wants to you know, engage with HubSpot and whatnot. It wasn't like that. It, was, it felt like a very risky move to go there, but I thought, all right, if I'm going to do it at any point, it should be early in my career. So this was the right time to kind of jump into a startup and get that experience. So I joined HubSpot. It was really just me and Mike in marketing, and I learned a ton, got a ton of great experience, was there for a little over seven years, and uh, it was a pretty incredible ride that I happily stumbled upon. At the point in the company's life, like right when you started, how did they value customer experience? It's an interesting question because I don't think that the phrase customer experience was necessarily, you know, the headline of the conversation, but it was kind of the backdrop for a lot because in the SaaS world, like I said, it it changes the nature of your interaction with your customer. And in general, I think so many companies will have uh, the need for the repeat business. And in the SaaS world, that's something that you probably have to go through every single month or, you know, every year if it's an annual contract, things like that. So it was uh, this constant uh, conversation about how do we make the product valuable? How do we make the experience great so that people renew month over month over month? And so that was kind of the backdrop. And uh, that was really what drove any of the investment in improving that experience. On a scale of one to 10, how do you think they would back in the day, back in 2007? Yep. How would they rank customer experience on their priority list? I'd say customer experience was probably like middle of the road, maybe a five, right? Where top of the list was sales and marketing, which was very reflective in where they focused. And uh, it was all about getting customers in the door. But then after that was about making them successful. But there was this very heavy focus on sales and marketing up front, even more so than kind of the step after that. At what point within your career there did all of a sudden you say, wow, like this idea of customer experience is a little bit more important? There were a couple of key metrics that we measured all the time. And HubSpot was a very data-driven company. So 
that metric of churn, right, very important in a SaaS business, uh, started to become a more and more important. <laughs> um, and as it became uh, a metric that was clearly the metric that needed the most work, that was when customer experience bubbled to the top. And we focused a lot more on how could we change that number to be in a, in a safe space. So it's the churn metric that kind of pushed that forward. That's right. What did HubSpot do at the time, especially when that churn metric became more important? What did they do to demonstrate their commitment to creating memorable customer experiences? I think there were a couple of things. And I think one of the biggest things they changed was alignment across the entire organization to improve that customer experience, right? There's this idea that customer experience might be owned by a customer success team. And to some degree, that is true. But really, the entire company and every single department plays a role in customer success and customer experience. Um, and so kind of a small but very tangible example of what they did was they aligned the sales commission plan, the sales comp plan with churn. And that completely changed things, mm. right? Then the sales team is seeking out customers that are going to be a great fit. They're going to see a lot of value. They're going to see a lot of value long term as well, because that's how they're compensated. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and so that had a really big, uh, big impact. So it's interesting that you say churn is the metric that pushes that customer experience to become more important. I've heard other companies say that NPS is that metric that they kind of marry the two together. What do you think about that? So it's funny, that came up a lot at HubSpot because certainly HubSpot measured NPS and churn and all of these other metrics. And pretty much every company I've worked at has measured both of those metrics. But what was funny about HubSpot was we started measuring NPS thinking that it was a leading indicator of churn, right? If someone's not so happy, that probably makes them a churn risk down the line, and maybe we can catch a bad experience earlier. But then we invested all this time in improving churn and improving NPS, thinking that was the same initiative. And if NPS moved, churn didn't necessarily move, and vice versa. And so for a while, a lot of the investments were helping improve churn, but it wasn't moving NPS. So, hmm. you know, I think that in our minds, we tie the two together because they both are the this like customer success metric, but it doesn't mean that one leads to the other. I think one of the possible reasons, right, this is just a theory, but one of the possible reasons is that what people say is not necessarily what people do. Yep, very true. <laughs> right? Uh, like that comes across a lot in the product management process yep. where someone says that, oh, they really value X, Y, Z, or they um, really want this thing to be different, but then their behavior does not line up with that. It's really interesting mm. that the same comes true, I think, with NPS and churn, where you know, you might actually improve things far enough that someone doesn't churn, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're raving about your product and shouting it from the rooftops and vice versa. Maybe they're, you know, talking about you all the time, but at the end of the day, they still churn. Yeah. I think that you do have to look at both and, and see if if they're really correlated. It seems like when it comes to gathering that information, what I've spoken with with a handful of people is understanding the difference between noise and signals. How do you do that, especially in this case where you're receiving information from your customers and they're saying, yes, we love this, or no, we hate this. How do you know what to listen to? I mean, I think it's really valuable to get all of that unstructured feedback because there's lots of gold in there. The trick is to ask those follow-up questions to understand what's behind it. 
right? So you can't just take the feedback of, hey, what do you care about the most? What are your top three feature requests? You have to talk to them about, all right, what, why do you care about these feature requests? What about them uh, is you know, painful right now. You really need to understand the why behind all of it because that's where the gold is. It's less about the kind of the surface level and more about can you get at the the true customer need. When you ask your customers about this information, what does it do as far as giving the customer a little sense of pride that they have some sort of drive in the success of your your overall company? What does it do for that? I mean, for the most part, I've seen customers be really positive about it, right? I mean, people love to provide their input, to be the the center of their own universe. Um, And the reality is that companies do succeed when they provide real value to their customers. So that relationship is really critical and that feedback is really critical. Um, And so for the most part, I've seen customers really willing to provide feedback, to be part of um, kind of the ebbs and flows of the company and the iterations of the product. And I think that that's fun. I mean, certainly I've spent a lot of time in startups, so that's kind of my world. But uh, I've seen a lot of positive, positive reaction from customers in that scenario, too. For HubSpot, you had a very successful seven years there at really one of Boston's most successful tech companies, fastest growing, probably one of the largest around. Where did customer experience fit into the overall success of the company? And then why did it matter? Hmm. So I think part of it was an acceptance that customer success was owned by the entire company and really bubbling up uh, metrics like churn and NPS to top level These are the key company metrics. For a really long time, the company was more focused on sales and marketing. And then churn and NPS and these customer success metrics also got kind of equal footing with that side of the business. So that was part of it. I think accepting that everybody had a role in making our customers successful. And then the other was acknowledging the teams that had a bigger role in it. So customer services, of course. And for a while, being a software company, services kind of came secondary. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the star. What do you mean by that? HubSpot never wanted to be a services company. And that's one of the reasons that the uh, agency program was so successful. The company didn't want to invest a lot in the services organization and be a very people heavy business. But one of the things that we found was there were two scenarios. One where customers who were working with an agency had much higher success rates because they had someone who was helping them implement all of their marketing strategy. It's like, great, they have extra resources. They're really committed to this. And then the other scenario was customers who worked with the services team at HubSpot also had great success because they were implementing things the right way. They you know, didn't let things drag on. They really got to get in and use the product. And so there was this recognition that to see success with the software, you also needed a services component. And so there was this newfound respect, I think, for that side of the business that Uh, the company then started to invest in, right? The agency program completely blew up uh, in a good way. And uh, the services organization um, got a lot more recognition within the company. Um, There was a lot more uh, recognition of individuals within the services organization too. And there was a a growth in different parts of the services organization. They started to break it up into different functions. um, And there was overall more investment in that area. And and I was always impressed. Whenever I had a question, I would call and get somebody on the line right mm-hmm. away. And it did. I would hang up and I'd always feel really good. And whether my problem was solved or not right then and there, I still felt really good about, yeah. hmm, I'm, I'm moving into the right direction of getting this problem at least, yeah. at least closer to the finish line. 
it is a, a funny thing, you know, some people or some companies will think of customer support tickets as a bad thing. Like we don't want to have these technical support tickets. It's uh, expensive to, to have support reps and it's probably is a sign that something's not right in the product or right in their experience. But uh, you can correlate things like support calls with churn and with NPS. Mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. turned out in that scenario that people who called support actually were quite successful and less likely to churn because you know what? It was a sign that they were really getting into the product. They were really trying to see value. And they were, you know, they needed to tweak one thing here or there, but uh, they were actually engaging with the company. So moving on to Toast, the second startup in your life. Uh, This was in 2014 when you moved on over. Now you are in a restaurant-focused industry. How did your approach to customer experience change? Because I do think it's interesting. It's like, should your mindset change from industry to industry? I want to say no, but figured let's let's hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I think I didn't go in expecting it to be different from a customer experience perspective. Maybe because I didn't think about it enough because there are so many differences that really do change the nature of customer experience there. And I think part of it is because there was a hardware component to the product, right? Otherwise, I've spent my time mm-hmm. in software. Software, all digital, like you can have a phone call, you're working with, uh, you know, to some degree, tech-savvy people. And when you add hardware to the mix, it completely changes the nature of your interaction with your customers because mm-hmm. it's so much more tactile. So we would have prospects who really wanted to get an in-person demo. We would have customers who wanted to do business face-to-face because that's what they were accustomed to in their industry. And it was very local focused business. They wanted to have someone down the street that they could talk to. So it really changed what people were expecting, what people wanted out of that interaction. So I think that was very different. And then the other big difference was that we suddenly had a a situation where we had not just the buyer, but a lot of users that were not part of the sales process, right? If you're in a simple SaaS scenario, the person you're talking to is also the person who's going to end up using your product. And so you have that main point of contact. You can understand their needs and you can adapt the, the service package or the product package to them. But what we found was, you know, you sell to a restaurant owner and then they have a staff of all of these different folks. You got servers, you got bartenders, you got all the different people that are interacting with your product that you have never talked to. Yeah. And so that is very different, too, in terms of making a good experience for someone you've never interacted with. How do you standardize that? How do you standardize that? That's a good question. I think it's a you have to recognize that you have users and you have buyers and sometimes they are the same people and sometimes they're not. And regardless, you want to know who those people are and understand what their needs are and how they're interacting with your product. So, you know, post-sale, going and seeing and how people are interacting with your product, how they're using it. With restaurants, it's great because you can literally just, you know, sit with a cup of coffee and see what's happening. <laughs> um, and so I think it's it's a matter of going back and, and seeing customers, quote unquote, in the wild yeah. <laughs> um, to see how they interact with your product and your services to get a better understanding of how you can improve that experience. Throughout your time at at Toast, how did you guys practice putting the customer in the middle to make effective decisions to essentially grow your business with the customer in mind? So the company was definitely very customer centric. And that happened out of uh, the culture of the founders. I think that it has to come from the beginning. It has to come from the top. It has to be permeating the entire company. And so from the very beginning, 
the founders were very closely connected to the customers. Um, and I think that one of the things that pushed them to get even more of an understanding of who our customers were is that they were not restaurant owners. Right? There's a different interaction that you have or a different relationship that you have with customers when you've been in their shoes and when you haven't been in their shoes. And if you haven't been in their shoes, you have to work extra hard to understand what their needs are and how to serve them. They were in there with their customers. They were, you know, going to installs. They were drilling holes <laughs> into the restaurant walls. Like they were doing what they needed to do to be there on the ground with the customers. And so that scaled up quite a bit. And then later when the, when the CEO uh, joined as well, he uh, came from, uh, Chris Comparato, he came from a customer service background. Um, that his, was his whole background. He had grown um, his career through that path. And that was intentional that mm-hmm. we wanted someone like that. Right. Because the customer experience was so key for customers coming on board and then referring additional customers to the business. Right. It was very referral heavy industry. And so we knew customer experience was really, really important um, and we wanted to invest in it. And so from the very beginning and then through the company's growth and scale, there was this investment at the top to stay close to customers and to prioritize it. And so even to this day, I'm pretty sure that every day each of the executives still talks to customers. That's awesome. Right? Like they go to restaurants, they talk to people there, customers or prospects. They take calls with customers all the time. Uh, probably too much, actually. <laughs> it's like there are a lot of things they, they need to do, but uh, they prioritize it so much that they never turn down one of those calls. It's incredible. Yeah. I completely agree that that mindset of having the customer be first, understanding the customer experience needs to come from within within a company. What are successful strategies for getting everybody within the company to think about customer experience? Mm. I think that there have to be questions that you ask and stories that you tell all the time, right? If someone wants to work on a new project, you have to keep asking, how is this going to benefit the customer? How is this going to impact the customer? When uh, you have a weekly team meeting, you have to share stories about your customers. It has to be part of this routine has to be ingrained in everything that you do. I think that that is how you actually build that culture of customer centricity throughout the culture of the company. Before we started recording, you mentioned something interesting off air. You said at Toast, you saw pain points around surprise fees and customers were were surprised at that. And they didn't like brands who had surprise fees. I can sympathize with that. I don't like it myself. How did you find out about that, that the customers didn't like that. Yeah, so I think this goes back to that that piece around always taking feedback from the customers and understanding what is behind it, as well as as well as coupling that with your own vision around how you think the business should work. So the funny thing about surprise fees, right? It's no surprise ha, to no all of us <laughs> um, that companies will sometimes sneak in surprise fees, but there was this funny expectation in that industry that that was just always the case. Like that was how things were done in that business. And so there were plenty of competitors that had surprise fees because, hey, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Um, but we, so we saw that people were complaining about this. We also saw that people were complaining about customer support, uh, the customer experience, the surprise fees that they would find out about, you know, months into their contract when they tried to cancel, you know, they they were constantly 
uh, angered by these different interactions, and they would complain about it. They would either complain about it to us in person, they would complain about it online, they would, you know, write reviews about their competitors and say, like, oh, don't don't go with them. They have all these, like, crazy fees that you've never heard about, and uh, they're just terrible to work with. And so there was all this great data of, all right, people don't like this. Even though it is a standard in the industry, we don't want to be that way. We want to value transparency, even though that is something that is not the standard. Yeah. We value transparency as a company in our culture internally, and then we want to extend that externally too. And so we said, all right, we're going to be different. This is going to be something that we also differentiate on to some degree, but we feel like this is the right way to do business. And we know that our customers also care about customer experience. And so we want to be in line with them and what they care about by treating them the way they want to be treated. And with all this information and this decision to to sort of be that transparent company out there, did you take all that to the marketing team? Who, who eventually used that information? So we use it a lot in marketing, right? So yeah. it was coming from the marketing side, uh, come from sales too. There was a lot of education that ended up happening in the sales process too as a result because there were... There were so many companies out there that were basically tricking our customers, right? If you're if you're in a situation where you're getting surprise fees, that means that someone has tricked you into signing a contract that has fees that you don't know about. And so we would help uncover that for people. We would say, all right, like let's look at your contract. Oh, like, oh, this, this thing means that. Um, have you looked at this fee and that fee? And we would help customers be empowered to solve their problems and in the process, we became this trusted advisor to them. We came some became someone who was on their side, who wanted them to succeed. So, kind of changed the the nature of uh, the vendor customer relationship. So, changing gears, the most recent step in your career. Are now at Cran, where we are conveniently yes. sitting right now. So, how has so you've had 13 years of this customer mindset, 13 years of great experience. How has your mindset changed, and how are you approaching customer experience at Cran? So, I think I've learned a lot about listening to customers and talking to customers and seeing what's behind the curtain a little bit. <laughs> so, asking those why questions. I think a lot of that came from. Uh, a short stint that I did in the product team at HubSpot, actually, where I worked really closely with product managers and developers, and we were trying to build something for a set of users. And I learned about that product management interaction where you you talk to customers firsthand, you get all of this unstructured feedback, and then you have a conversation that gets to their real needs. And so I've taken that with me, and we're, we're certainly using that quite a bit today. Um, I love talking to customers. One of the reasons that I moved over to Crayon is because I am really excited to be working with fellow marketers again, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> our customers are marketers. So that's a lot of fun for me. Um, and so I love talking to customers. And we are big believers in talking to customers regularly and sharing out those findings, right? So it's not about just the product managers having that info. It's everyone across sales, marketing, product, development. Everyone in the company should really be consuming this customer feedback to get a better understanding of who those people are and what they care about so that we can better serve them. So we've definitely built that into the culture. Can you tell me a great outcome from focusing on customer experience, like something awesome that's happened after you really prioritized it? Yeah, so 
funny enough, it's kind of the story of Crayon, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, so Crayon started off with our Inspire product, which is the product that we talked about, where it catalogs all of these different web designs, and you can browse and get inspiration and save collections and, and things like that. One of the things we found was that people were using Inspire to try to do research on other companies in their market, right? It's not just about getting inspiration from all the big brands. It's, all right, I want to know about case studies and whether or not our competitors are adding new ones or taking some away. I want to know about the pricing pages and how they frame their pricing, how they position their product, their different features and the packages that they offer. I want to stay on top of all of that. And they were kind of trying to hack different parts of Inspire to do that. And we were getting requests and feedback that people wanted to monitor their market so that they could make better decisions internally. But we didn't have a product just for that. And we thought, all right, if we're really going to do this, if we're going to help companies track what's happening outside of you know, the four walls of their business, we need to monitor not just their websites, but also all of the rich content that's online, all of this unstructured content in things like reviews or their website, of course, but also uh, their social media accounts and so on. So we had all of this rich data available on the internet and we had this need that hadn't been served. And so we put that together, right? So we kind of took that customer feedback and we made our product out of that. But I do like to end episodes with a little bit of reflection. It's it's a segment called If I Only Knew. And it's your chance to look back and reflect on how you've implemented this customer experience mindset into something that you've worked on. But it has to be something that that you wish you knew earlier on. So you didn't practice you know, early on in your career. What would be that thing for you? I think the thing that stands out to me is that what you think is important is not necessarily what is important to someone else. I guess that sounds obvious when you say it now, but that goes for what you care about versus what your boss cares about. It goes for what your company cares about versus what your customers care about. The case that that sticks out to me is actually something from my time at SolidWorks. So rewinding quite a bit, I was spending uh, all this time on, I think it was a case study project and working with partners and things like that. And it was all this effort that went into this project. And there was this big, uh, you know, very tangible, like, project uh, outcome with like web pages and things like that. My boss was like, great, thanks. Like, glad that worked out. Yeah, two thumbs up. (laughs) Yep. Um, And then there was this other project that came up out of the blue. It was this quick thing that needed to be done, um, but there was this time pressure around it. And I was like, sure, I can do it. And so I sat down, I did it, got it done. He could not stop raving about it. And in my mind, I was thinking, this took me very little time. And what about that project that took me 10 times as long, (laughs) right? And what I realized afterwards was the reality is that what you think is important is not necessarily what is going to be most impactful for the business or most impactful for the customer. And that came true over and over again where, you know, of course, there are product features too, where it takes months to develop and get out there. And then customers are like, that's nice. Maybe I'll use it. And then there are things that take a split second for someone to do and the customers cannot stop raving about it. And so I think it all comes back to better understanding what people really care about and how you can better serve their needs because in the process, you can actually better prioritize your own time <laughs> to, to really focus on the biggest impact work. I completely agree with that. So so I had a boss, um, this was at Hourly Nerd, now Catalan, who he said something amazing to me that at the time, 
it didn't resonate with me right away, but it, it falls perfectly into what you just said. And I did this long project. I thought it was awesome. I reviewed it with him. And then at the end, he's like, hey, nice job. From now on, he's like, I want you to always ask yourself, why are you doing this? Not just to get a project, make something look cool, but he's like, why? Why does it matter to us? Why does it matter to the customer? Why does it matter to the overall organization? And why does it matter to you? When you can answer all these questions and it's in sync with why we're all here as an organization, do it. I looked back at that project that I handed and I was like, you know, I don't really know why I did this. And I don't know why this adds value to the company. But it really, it, it made me open up my eyes and I'm so glad that he mentioned it to me because it is, it's, it's like a great thing to always say to yourself, why am I doing this? Yep. Why does it matter? Well, Ellie, thank you for joining us today. This was an incredible, awesome conversation. To everyone listening, you can find out more about CRAN. You can find out more about Ellie. You can find out more about everything we discussed on the Dispatch blog. That is blog.dispatch.me. All the links will be there. Ellie, thanks for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. If you want to learn more about customer experience, head over to the Dispatch blog. That is blog.dispatch.me or give Ellie a shout on Twitter. And I'll probably mess this one up, but here we go. At E-L-L-I-E-E-I-L-L-E. Remember to subscribe to In The Know on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. If you liked this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. And as always, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next episode.